Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was thinking to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen? How do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. One to sentences in the thought. Don't worry, just do Anchor. With all the portals and everything in a sensible way, you get a benefit. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast, make money doing it. Go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Greetings to all. This is Vivian from Internationalism. And now we have a uh, panel of five of the Jurisdiction for International Law. Uh, we, have, we have Mr. Wendell from Gantt Space and Alexis Group with us. So we have a very interesting topic. Now, this is again on the themes of international law and technology. But uh, we took this decision, uh, we took the decision to have this talk about other themes that. This is very unique and it's the very So, we're going to discuss all the gaps in algorithmic accountability and education economies, uh, the politics of enforcement. So, uh, the very aspect of this panel is all about understanding how artificial intelligence, when it comes to its when it comes to its infrastructure utility, uh, is be understood economically and politically, and why I have I had referred to my team that you know take the Asian perspective is because uh, uh, to Asia we still do not have such clear aspects. We don't have that clear information to understand how the infrastructure will impact the society, both economically and socially. It's happening at a very large scale in developed developed United States. Also, the D93s and you know, European region. But when it comes to other countries, like China, I am not taking an example because China is already advanced AI. But let's understand some other countries like Bangladesh. It, I would take some accent as well. But in general, uh, if we do a point the countries, it is important that the political relation AI. As a policing and space infrastructure, as a utility infrastructure, people. So, let's have a discussion. So, sir, it will be great. And, you know, I'll pass the bait to you. Hi, everyone listening to uh, this uh, conference. Uh, welcome. And thank you so much, Avi Varzan, for inviting me to speak on this uh, very, very important issue. Uh, most people, uh, when, when it comes to artificial intelligence, they still believe that it's very, very artificial and has very little, uh, you know, real impact in our lives. 
but that's uh, the gravest mistake that people can do right now because uh, it, it's so infused and so real in our lives that, uh, uh, you know, that it's very difficult to fathom the kind of influence that it can have over human lives. And uh, in most cases, uh, we don't really believe something we can't see. So it's kind of that scenario here where this invisible hand is making all the decisions and influencing our daily lives. Uh, so, uh, you know, just to begin uh, the conversation, let me, uh, let me give you some examples that in the recent past has happened in relation to uh, algorithms and artificial intelligence. So in olden days, when countries used to fight each other and have territorial disputes, and they would they would use something called border you know, to to sort of to define the territory. Now those would be maps drawn by several uh, sovereign states, where uh, you know people could discuss and dispute that okay this part of the land is yours, this part of the land is mine. In a 21st century world which we live in today. That job is actually now being taken over by international corporations like Google. So Google Maps in the last 10 years has actually created more border disputes than anything else. Just to give you an example, how serious this matter is. So Google influencing these border lines, there are scenarios where uh, places disappear depending on where you are accessing the map. From. So, for example, in an Asian context, if you look at Arunachal Pradesh, which is a state in India, there was a, scenario, there was a situation when if you search from China, this would be shown as a Chinese territory and the name Arunachal Pradesh would disappear from the map. If you search from India, it will show this as a part of Indian state, which is actually in legality, yes. Similarly, uh, there was a situation when a Nicaraguan army, by mistake, planned a military mission using Google Maps and invaded Costa Rica because, uh, you know, the map showed about two kilometers of, uh, of road, which is in Costa Rica as a part of the Nicaraguan, uh, you know, arena. So these kind of things are happening today on a daily basis. And uh, there are multiple such examples you can search about, you know, border disputes that are created across Google. So that's something that definitely affects us. Secondly, I'm going to uh, draw another example of how automated decision systems or AI-based systems can create more, uh, you know, difficulties uh, for us. So let's, let's, let's imagine a scenario where uh, there is an algorithm which decides who would get loan, uh, also calculates prison sentences for people, or even decides how much medical aid someone should get. Now these, uh, even though they, they seem, uh, you know, that the, these algorithms are eventually making uh, this, uh, these decisions more uh, effective so that they can be delivered at a faster rate for more. But what's actually happening is, if they're not planned, well, audited, what happens is that this automated decision making and profiling gets very, very biased. Because 
algorithms largely depend on you know so the data so algorithm is as good as the data that we feed it in in most cases algorithms are reflecting back the bias in our own world so in those scenarios it's extremely hard uh, to figure out uh, you know effective decisions which are not uh, which are not biased because uh, and that's very important. So that's why I, I'll, I'll draw one, uh, you know, simple thing. It's called Article 22, which the European Union GDPR has included, where it says that the solely automated decision making and profiling will not be allowed. So those decisions can be actually challenged later on in court. I think that's a, that's a very, very important decision that the European Union has taken. And those similar guidelines should be followed Asian counterparts as well when we try because civil liberty is here at stake because uh, you know sometimes uh, these uh, typical loan uh, uh, algorithms are analyzed according to the zip codes now if there are concentrated uh, you know areas with a single zip code where most economically deprived people stay and the algorithm defines it as a zone which is most likely not to pay back loans, then the, uh, then the people who need most loans would not get loans uh, by the definition of the algorithm. Now, that's a very, very critical, uh, you know, critical uh, situation. Also, to add, uh, uh, th th there was this uh, thing called affect recognition, which basically is that uh, it can read your face, the machine can read your face and identify your character as well as intent. Now, you probably be wondering that what's the problem with that? The problem is that these systems are very common nowadays. So if you go to international airports, in fact, for example, our very own New Delhi airport uh, in India, which is the capital of India, now has uh, biometric, uh, you know, sort of scanners which scans your face and you don't need a boarding pass. It just, you know, checks you in right then and there. So it's an experimental system that they're trying out. Uh, it's it's, it's operation, operational from time to time. But the interesting part is they are not just analyzing your face and giving you a free boarding pass or, or letting you uh, get into the airport faster, but also all those uh, are being in the back end being analyzed to figure out your intent and your character. That's what you did not give permission for. Similarly, all these uh, you know identity cards that are issued by government authorities, like say in India we have something called a PAN card, which is made for the income tax department, or even passport for that matter, where you have your picture and uh, you know it is used as your identity card. Now. There are lots of uh, instances that has been reported in public domain where it is heard that many intelligence agencies are actually using these photographs and using them for facial recognition for the same purpose. Now, this is your identity card. The government issued you an identity card to use it only for certain purposes. You did not give permission to use it you know, for, for any other purposes or profiling of you as a citizen, 
which is was very rampantly happening in different parts of the world, including China, uh, where we have seen this social, uh, you know, digitized social experiment uh, that they're running. So these are, uh, you know, very very serious, um, you know, implications where algorithms are not accountable. They are not designed to be accountable. It can create, uh, you know, serious uh, uh, problems in 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 our society and threaten civil liberties and even exacerbate existing issues within governmental agencies that are like biases, inefficiencies, opacity regarding decision making and etc. So, uh, you know, when algorithmic tools are adopted by government agencies without adequate transparency, accountability and oversight, uh, that is a serious problem in according to me. Okay. I'll keep some points on this. So, uh I as the duties of Article 22 GDPR is there, which is actually about understanding how these regulations are concerned. Uh, it's also interesting to understand that while algorithmic policing has become a very important phenomenon, and mostly the recognition and surveillance, the recognition is under surveillance category, have a very big stake here. It's also to how the bias are selling. So as uh, thing is for sure that uh, there is a data protection bill which was proposed by the government of India. So I'm taking the Indian government for instance and then I'll move to other government example. Uh, the critics say that the very data protection has a flaw that it gives a lot of extra powers to the executive authority. And uh, that is reasonable to say. Moreover, the uh, one of the important things which are connected with AI is that its structure, the very structure of artificial intelligence, its components, machine learning, and if you go to higher level of AI, is you know beyond deep learning. What happens is that mostly they are opaque. So there is something called the Algorithmic Accountability Act in the United States which I think will be uh, in force, I think, uh, by 2023. It has been introduced and it has been passed. So by 2023, it will be in force. How does the act say? The act itself, I think the it section, definitive aspect of what is, uh, if I remember, an algorithmic system. So they don't say AI agent. They say that it's a kind of an algorithmic system which actually, uh, which is focused on number one, automation, number two, generation. So, thing is that these kinds of AI systems which we are using, now there's one more example, the, the, what, ha what has happened to the Uyghurs in China, the new Xinjiang. Now from the CCTV cameras to the apps used by Tencent, Alibaba and all of those guys, then, uh, yeah, one thing we should remember, all these Chinese apps and systems used by the company, have an agreement with the government of the Congress party that no, we will share data with you at the end of the day. So this is one thing. Now that data is being shared, these are present in many forms. And even some funny stuff happened where uh, uh, you know the, the, the uh, one of the Uyghur minority person uh, had to go to some other place and due to his uh, maybe some appearances so he was denied. But the thing is, the council level, or you know, the region provincial provincial authorities, 
huge kind of surveillance system. They actually misuse the biases. And these biases happen because uh, we have to assume AI as a human the first time. I'm not, I'm not saying that is, but we have to understand it by. Because empathy involves artificial intelligence is still of a soft AI. And a soft AI, like Google Translate or Alexa or Siri or, you know, even uh, kind of a biometric thing, which actually has to do with tradition, is a soft AI. Handling with even a lot of data sets, billion data sets or trillion data sets, or maybe, uh, I say, a thousand data sets is not enough to make it a strong AI. Unless the AI itself either has some adaptive approaches, which is very important, or even if it is adaptive, it is not opaque. So uh, one thing which actually, uh, which is my, sorry, which comes into places, uh, that the role of AI is often considered to be a utility-based check, where much of us, when it comes to our rights, our digital rights, is being relinquished. And one of the basic legal reasons is that, what is the adoption for the data protection laws? So why, uh, why is it that still the international legal system, we don't have an agreement or a kind of even a declaration on artificial intelligence as an, at an international level, which means at the level of the UN, we have one at the level of EU. Uh, uh, India does have a DPIO policy, Beijing does have VAAI, uh, the United States has collaborated with ITLE, so they have a policy. Israel does not show, but they have a cyber security policy, so yeah, they are very interesting. Russia does have a policy, but they don't intend to show that. Singapore does have a very, very liberal and very open AI strategy. Uh, you know, it already does that GDPR, and now it has, you know, it just recently did uh, a conference in 2018, then it did in 2019, where it showed the EDP declaration. That is the European Data Protection Supervisors Declaration, it with the ICO. But if you check the trends, so I'm dissecting China and I'm including India. Because India is much of of the West. All of the Western actors showing their policy, including the Information Commission of the UK, where the UK is the second most surveilling state in the world, that AI is a issue, it must be ethical, it must be regularized. And also of that, that same liberal instinct that you give in the law and the declaration of the principles that you want to control, but you want to ensure that it's there is some kind of a moral imperative to it, some natural justice must be reached. But the problem is, while we also don't know about transparency, there might be some handling operation by the executive and parliamentary authorities to, uh, you know, shuffle out from, you know, leading that real transparency that the people want, because we have a very uh, archetypal, we still have archetypal legal systems in the world, be it the UK, be it India, be it the United States, we still have those archetypal legal systems. It's not a direct democracy still, it's still an indirect democracy. And even when it is not a democracy like China, China also assumes that it has a democracy kind of, but, you know, by the systems itself, but they don't have exactly, virtually don't, don't have but by the constitution, CC, uh, the constitution of China, TRC. The problem is that all these archetypal systems originated have not come up change with the adverse nature of what the technology should be. Because AI as a disruptive technology teaches us at the end of the day that we should be disruptive enough as well as we should replenish our 
own constituent environment so that we also understand how our developments must be you know understood because uh, currently the problem is that you know ai is also used in information politics for example and all of these ai bots which are being used all they are soft ai they are not uh, very strong ai they are not very uh, they are just weak ai they are not a strong ai they are not at the stage of agi right? they are very weak why is it because currently uh, that's not happening i don't think that there is not a strong ai but yes this is without any disagreement that soft ai is ruling whether it is cs operations or non cs operations although also the lethal autonomous uh, uh, if you watch uh, how the defense operations are being handled uh, so lethal autonomous is something that you know is encouraged but still there are some reservations are placed india however does have a solution while with the us says that uh, there are very vague principles i'm just going to share that and i'm going to pass it to you so the us said that uh, the china the us called it to the chinese scholars in a summit that, uh, i just don't remember the summit exactly but they said that uh, in international cyber law they want to engage kind of a persistent intervention which means that in the loop espionage but a certain intervention in the chinese ecosystem obviously the chinese won't agree that is dangerous for india as well to agree so number one we have an architectural problem our systems are not prepared for this technology we are just using or i should say leaking much of our own uh, of our own liabilities to the disruptive autonomy that we gave to the technology if you really want to automate, uh, automate everything to that extent that okay okay technology just go as you wish to and we will just use you as you are which means that we are just you know creating a kind of empathy a kind of legal and political empathy from our side but we are not understanding the legal and political empathy that technology will produce then all of this makes a situation that the empathy that the, that the people want to actually get socialized with technology is lost i mean in 2000 uh, our whole lot of rumors spread regarding internet and computers that computers would burst they would not uh, influence anything what happened was the computers and smart all of these became an integral part of social life and you think the joint dot software you are using using your own software these software roughly these are connected to human purposes they do not teach ethical ethics but they are useful as their own paradigm now we can compare joint dot me as a software i'm not getting into that but that empathy that connects and uh, the software which is relevant is very important i rest my case here and then i'll refer to anything yeah. <laughs> uh no you're absolutely right uh, we were just from the angle that uh, you know this this uh, whole point of uh, machine has to be more empathetic is uh, is a difficult task yeah. that lies ahead of us and uh, you know in in this uh, situation uh, there is one thing that comes to my mind is uh, uh, you know pretty much uh, like the question that arises is where does the data used to build and train these automated decision systems come from now if you look at it so primarily right. researchers studying automated decision systems have critiqued that their use because of this limitation 
since existing bias in an agency's decision will be carried over in systems and trained on biased agency data. So some government agencies, however, have access to data from other agencies from, for automated decision system. This may become more common in future as governments use more sophisticated technical platforms to manage and share their data. Now, uh, in, in, co in, in correlation to this, uh, I'll just add two more questions. So first of all, it arises the next question that is how does fairness or bias get defined yeah. in the technical world? Okay. Uh, so being a part of the being a tech, part of the technical community, it's the onus is on us to sort of uh, you know uh, define, attempt to define fairness mathematically, so that machine learning systems can be made to meet some probable uh, you know provable standards of fair. Now this effort is the subject of uh, obviously multiple ongoing research in this domain. Uh, now, I'll just like to mention uh, probably one scenario where, for example, consider a machine learning based, uh, uh, you know, pre-trial risk assessment that attempts to rate a defendant's risk of re-arrest as either low risk or high risk. Now, under one definition of fairness centered on calibration, the risk assessment should be deemed fair if high risk and low risk mean the same thing for black and white defendants. Now that is if high risk for black black defendant means there, there is a 70% probability they will be re-arrested. Then high risk for a white defendant should also mean that there is a 70% probability they will be re-arrested. Now under a different defini definition of fairness based on error rate balance, the whole thing changes very much. So these sort of definitions sometimes sometimes directly contradict each other and research has found that in, in these kind of examples, as long as the base rates of re-arrests uh, you know, among the defendants, as long as perfect prediction is impossible. Now, uh, that raises another question uh, that, that's going to be sort of my last in the series of questions that I am raising is Sometimes we ask them, why do we need a separate effort to regulate the use of algorithms in government at all? Aren't the existing laws that address, address things like uh, discrimination and harm uh, in, in, in education or criminal justice or employment, etc. already sufficient? Now, uh, that's not sufficient for the simple reason is that the opacity and the inscrutability of algorithms present are extremely different and new threat to our ability to understand how government agencies work. Now, we need an right. approach to identify and address bias and discrimination in these automated decision systems. New laws and practices are needed to encourage the safe development of these systems if they are able yeah. to be used and to enable new forms of oversight. At the same time, we must also find ways to enforce existing laws and standards, even in the face of algorithms that might muddy the picture. Great. So let's understand the idea of fairness. So there are some researches in you know the criminal legal system. If we could really implement the recognition systems uh, to you know get some fair justice. And you have the fact that when we define fairness, the problem comes to Now, there's a very positive aspect 
context of uh, that goes in the Accountability Act of the US Cyber Threat Framework. So this act itself does not define fairness at all. In fact, uh, the Democrats who, you know, the, the Democratic Party members who actually proposed this set in the, uh, in the, the Senate, uh, sorry, in the House of Representatives, is that uh, uh, they don't think that a, a definition of fairness should be given. Because when we give a definition of fairness, we actually lose the very autonomy of being the arbitrator. Now, who are the arbitrators? The technology or the human beings who are legally sanctioned by the constitutional law. The technology is not sanctioned by the constitutional law. The people are sanctioned. And who are the people? Who are the people? Public officials, I should say, legislative authorities, right? Which means that fairness by definition is actually an open hand. That is uh, I personally believe that fairness should be given a definition. Second, there has been a lot of conflict over the idea of data quality. Uh, the Australian privacy law, German privacy law, and the UK privacy law, all of these have been giving their own concerns or data. There is a Article 13 of the GDPR which actually talks about the data quality. That okay, every data that comes must be accountable and must be clear but the very thing that i had said before first is the archetypal nature of the institutions archetypes exist in the society but currently the existing laws do have the potential to solve it like they can but the problem that comes into me is that whenever we extra relinquish our own consciousness whether it is a legal consciousness or a political consciousness to the authorities of any problem that comes into being is relinquishing a lot of the executive authorities also leads to a problem that uh, we are it's, we are ourselves not able to rectify our own problems because first the authorities are not at a better check and balance which means that it is uh, you know indirect democracy is actually overpowering the direct democracy implications which is very important. And by now, democracy doesn't mean ideally a democracy because it will take China and Hong Kong and you know other countries, for example, which have authoritarian regimes. They also use automated systems. Uh, the very interesting aspect is that democracy, by the way, also be I am trying to say is at least not popular will, but individual concerns that are legally uh, submitted and they must be taken into consideration. Something which is taken into consideration in that sense, I'm saying. So not an ideal democracy, but that way. So fairness itself not to be defined to be true, to be honest. And uh, all sorts of you know the racial issues, it happens. Like uh, uh, there was a research by Vox, and what they found was that uh, mostly the black people were convicted. The AI that was you know in trials, you know, regarding certain act while the people left. And what happens in all of these cases is that the judiciary in those particular aspects uh, uh, happen. The thing is, now let's take a funny example. So there is a person remember his name. Um, he was the graphic designer for the film called Avatar and he won two Academy Awards 
So this guy now after Avatar is working on an AI project where he's employing a child. Now it's kind of a baby in the computer which employs approximately 15,000 neurons. Now it's not a human neuron. It's a neural network of AI. Or a neural network. Now, if there was a video in which he showed, it showed that uh, while he was teaching the child, okay, this is a this is a bottle, this is a coconut, this is a dog. The child is exactly learning in the same way they do. But there are some backlashes that he also noted. And what are the backlashes? Now, within the 15,000 neural network, can't have the same functioning as we do can have having billions of neurons. So think that for we don't have that strong AI, number one. And number two, we actually have to restrict the legal definition. We relinquish almost of our own social and legal, I should say legal consciousness to actually have that check and balance system to the law itself. Because law is a moral institution in general. And in most of the democracies and non-democratic institutions, uh, the idea of it is, which is established in international law, is that about the people, the civil liberties will not be able to be protected. The problem is not that the problem is that when you are even clearing or even talking about using. So actually is something which is not impossible but something uh, uh it is said that the rise of AI is I'm just taking Joking remarks, jokeable remarks. People say that uh, the rise of AI has been quite uh, the end of humanity. I don't agree with them because I think that the rise of AI is a new challenge for human beings to become empowered and more developed. Because you even see the development of mind. And since the 5th century BC, uh, sorry, uh, AD, since the 5th century AD till now, in the historical development, the development of mind itself has been very interesting. Conscious of over here, they should thought about things in a different way at one time. So, currently, the thing is that while we are post-truth age, and that is which I wish to quote here, the post-truth age, we need to have some ethical autonomy. We have existing but we need to make in a way that while political issues override, uh, you know, the flaw that it will happen, even if governments still are demotivated because of People themselves are not getting themselves accountable and the government is accountable in that way they should. We will have slow as AI at least. I'm not talking about change, I'm not talking about other technology, but I'm only restricting myself to AI right now. Also, AI does have a very big potential to change the human society and, you know, contribute to human culture. It has, like, for example, uh, there were 50 uh, paintings, sorry, 100 paintings were taken. Now, these 200 things were of Rousseau, Shakespeare, Wind, all of the legendary people in the Renaissance movement. So, uh, a kind of uh, image generation AI was given a task that, okay, AI, just make a painting out of it. And that AI made, I think, a lot of different samples from those 50 to 200 things of Da Vinci, Shakespeare and all of these people, Mona Lisa also if we add. So what happens is that AI itself by structure, by programming, I'm not talking about the technical side here. I'm only talking about 
two things here. The technical sociology that it has with the people, how is how is uh, how its physics and how it's built affect as as you know part of society. Technology is is not properly utilized. We cannot make it eco-friendly. We cannot make it useful for us. Like uh, that's my uh, proposition to me. Because uh, it takes time. I'm not saying it will not. But currently, the technology is not way it should be. Yes, it's like our next slide. For example, I'm just ending my point. We can really discuss about this. So there's a conflict, not a conflict, but actually a battle between climate engineering and geoengineering. Well, geoengineering posits, geoengineering posits, okay, we have this kind of climate, no worries, we'll make a technology that is okay with the times, but climate engineering would uh, say that we have to respect the climate first and then act accordingly, right? So there's a difference. And, a conservative, I should not say government, government is so honored. Climate engineering, I say right for government in various I'm not saying whether it is exactly right or not, but still, it's far right or anything. Even I think, I think, the populist in the world are encouraging kind of restrictive and surveillance-based technology. Now, while they are encouraging, well, who cares one of the prolific examples? While it might happen here as well at a larger scale, I don't know. I can't say it will, but it will happen. The only advantage they take is that the archetypal historicity of the institutions and the uh, the only benefit that they have is that the technology itself is not social enough. And that is why they are not that much competent. That's the structure and design. Uh, I just like Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think uh, very valid points and uh, great examples uh, we got them. I mean, I would just sum up by from my side by saying that, you know, uh, there's two broad suggestions that I have when it comes to uh, making algorithm accountability count and at the same time which uh, helps make humans make better decisions and have better systems which aid in the process of uh, you know sort of uh, putting humanity ahead of uh, everything else is uh, one of the things that uh, is not allowing us to sort of uh, make the algorithms more accountable is probably the corporate secrecy laws or the you know, uh, situations where the lack of auditing and understanding of their software, you know, this black box effect, uh, rendering most systems opaque and unaccountable, making it hard to assess, uh, you know, buyers or contest decisions or even remedy errors for that matter. So anyone procuring these technologies yeah. for use specifically in the public sector, I'm not talking about private sector, they can do Obviously, they have their own, uh, you know, pr protections and things like that, and they have to do what they have to do. But anyone who procures say, these technologies for use in the public sector should demand that vendors waive these claims before entering into any of such kind of agreements. So AI companies uh, who are constantly now dealing with large uh, public institutions like governments and others have to figure out a way to waive trade secrecy and other legal claims that stand in the way of accountability in the public sector for that specific domain. So that's number one suggestion from my end. Uh, actually, I, I will give you three suggestions. So number two is that in conjunction to this, 
uh, there must be a way where, uh, you know, where we can legally protect, offer protection to uh, objectors and ethical whistleblowers, you know, because uh, we need to protect uh, technology companies, especially need to protect workers' ability to organize, whistleblow, and make ethical choices about what projects they work on. I mean, you must be aware of the fact that in the, in the uh, past couple of years, there have been numerous scandals in the domain of AI, where multiple people across big tech corporations, including Google, have left the company in protest of what the company was doing. Uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Google's uh, drone uh, contract with the US military and the kind of AI-based surveillance program they were designing, and many other such, uh, you know, tech corporations were broiled in such, uh, such uh, cases. So this has to be, a, 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 you know, very prime importance to the to the legal industry and the third and the, my last suggestion is that uh, that ai began as an interdisciplinary field but over the years it has narrowed to become a sort of we mistake it to be a technical discipline but with the increasing application of these artificial intelligence systems and algorithms to social domains it needs to expand its disciplinary orientation. That means uh, that uh, universities should have artificial intelligence programs that should expand beyond just computer science and engineering discipline. Uh, if we genuinely wish to address social implications, we cannot stay solely within the computer science and engineering departments. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we have to, we have to ensure better research uh, and deeper attention to social context, uh, which, which brings more focus on potential hazards when this, these systems are applied to human populations. So I would say that that's, that's my three suggestions in this case. And I, uh, I end uh, saying that uh, artificial intelligence is probably the best thing that has happened to uh, the humans. But at the same time, if we don't take owners, and we create systems which uh, are better than humans at the same time helps humans to be to become better we would fail ourselves as a society and as humanity yeah and really good suggestions uh, i'll just to the aspects that i read one of them is that we to think that architects of our constitutional legal systems must improve and redefine the way direct and direct democracies work. Within that, we also should understand that while these indirect direct democracies which are involved, because these are the very roots of other problems. That way, also we should see that uh, uh, the stakeholders, the relevant stakeholders who are involved in the whole process of technology, ethics, and sociology itself must have a kind of ethical autonomy which itself is based on some kind of that trust among the people. It's difficult, but uh, it's one of the very significant mechanisms that could actually help out. Like it helped in Finland. So Finland is one of the most powerful countries when it comes to dealing with digital, uh, digital literacy. Now, these guys in Finland, now, people try to teach people about fake news and misinformation so efficiently, so efficiently that people themselves are much aware of the political process and the things that are going on. So, 
while technology is a very important thing, it is also important to understand that it also helps us in our processes. It does not become case for main uh, subject opinionization is to get done. It can be something when it happens because most of the times uh, these technologies always show different things. For Relinquish consciousness and also relinquishing the political uh, maturity of the world. How the people, how people just still thrive on any uh, non-native or conventional aspects of uh, politics and social life. So yeah, these are two things. And the last thing which I would say is that the role that AI has in this world is very positive. We just ourselves don't know how to use it because of the fact that it's not. It's not indisciplinary still. It's like IRB to various courses where people rarely talk about AI as a social and legal. But it would be important to see that people really think AI as much dynamic and inter-socialized field where they can talk technology. The technology could also talk with them. So I will now end the panel Thank you so much for coming. And it has been really a great time. And thank you so much. Thank you.